0: Now on this episode of Miami mic Up, I am very excited because we have the host of, of my favorite podcast, uh, All Fantasy Everything. He is also the host of Emotional, a basketball podcast, which you guys should subscribe to. He was the head writer of The Late Late Show with James Corden. He's also been performing stand-up comedy all across the country over the last few months. It's Ian Carmel. Ian, thank you so much for joining me on, on today's Miami mic Up.
1: It is such an honor to be here. When you said we have my favorite podcast host, I thought you were about to introduce Terry Gross from Fresh Air. So I thought I was in the wrong place for a second. It's,
0: well, it's a relief to know I'm in the right place. I'm, I'm glad you're here. You are in the right place. You have a wonderful Zoom background, uh, and I'm excited to get started on this conversation because I think we're going to head a bunch of different places.
1: I I can't. I'm very very excited to be here. The Zoom background is. J- I have to give all credit to my wife. Who has organized her books, all of color coordinated, by the way, Mm. color coordinated.
0: For what it's worth in my wife's office, just down that direction. We have the exact same thing going on, which is that she has all these books that she has read that I have not uh, that are organized in terms of color, which is a lot more stress, like stress relieving than you would think
1: it. I mean, it's very stress relieving to look at. Mm-hmm. I would if I were to do it, I would immediately start feeling bad about how I had purchased all these books and oh, read a quarter of them.
0: It's only slightly stressful to look at those books and not have actually read them myself. But getting there currently uh, back at like the high school reading level, reading The Hunger Games series, because I've never read it <laughs> you, before. Might as well get started in the right direction.
1: I think every now and then you need to throw in some of that like middle grade, young adult. <laughs> yeah. stuff. I will read. I grew up reading the Red Wall books, which is about like brave mice with swords and I like a couple years ago I reordered all of them and I'll mix those in in between like the Claire Keegan's you know what I mean and like the Ishiguro's where you're like let me like give my brain a break for a second
0: (laughs) I think that's the best way to do it and it's also really fun oddly to then go back and watch all the movies and feel angry because I was like I was never a kid who read any of these books growing up And then saw the movies like I was just not much of a reader as a kid. And so now I'm getting the experience If I saw the movie, like the movie, go back, feel like I'm doing a research paper to find all this extra information and then go back and watch the movie again. And I'm infuriated about all of the things that are left out.
1: You're you're gifting yourself. Teenage nerd rage. Yeah, it's awesome later on in life. I
0: need (laughs) it desperately, and it's great. It's really, really wonderful. Um but all right, so I I start all of these podcasts actually the same way with the same question, which is what is something recently outside of work, outside of your jobs that has brought you joy?
1: My wife and I are rewatching The Sopranos. She's never seen it.
0: That's Uh, a great choice. And
1: I'm re-watching it for the first time. You know, it's the, I think it's the 25th anniversary right now. Yeah. Something crazy like that. And um, she's never seen it. So it's been wonderful for me to experience it again for the first time in a long time. And to watch her experience it for the first time. James Gandolfini. Rest the in best. peace. The be- Like, the best ever. And also, like, I know I'm, I'm saying things that have been repeated over and over and over again ad nauseum. But, like, <laughs> it is so funny. The Sopranos, which always ran as a drama, is funnier than the shows that win Emmys for comedy now.
0: But that's the whole thing, right? Is like that was one of the first shows to sort of do that, that so many of these shows like Succession is a comedy in so many ways. And so like it was one of the first shows to kind of take that serious drama and flip it on its head and make you laugh the entire time. I remember being a kid and having the, the – because I didn't watch it when it was first yeah. live. And I remember um, I walked into my parents' room as they were finishing the finale uh-huh. because I heard Don't Stop Believing" playing. And I was like, oh, they're listening <laughs> to Don't Stop Believin'. And I walked in, and they were just like, what's happening? And it was literally live. It was like the fi- the finale was airing, and it, uh, it obviously ruined every opportunity I had uh, at – not having that spoiled for me, but it was a, a core memory of mine.
1: Absolutely, one of the one of the great endings of a TV show in that everybody has an opinion on it,
0: right? Which is perfect because everybody hates that everybody has an opinion on it and can argue with each other about it. Did Journey have a chokehold on you as a child? So Journey, oh god, this is I'm about to admit some embarrassing stuff that some of the people yeah. listening to this podcast know, but not uh, necessarily you. Which is that I was quite <laughs> I was quite the Gleek uh, I oh, really liked Glee. Yeah, I was a, I was a theater kid. Like, how I was old a, are you?
1: Cause I think I'm older. I'm like maybe
0: even significantly older than I'm. You. 28 years old. Okay, yeah. So I'm 10 years older than mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And so for me, I was like elementary school, high school musical comes out, and I'm like, that's my life. I play yeah. baseball and I do musicals. And then <laughs> I get to, I get to middle school, and that's around the age that that Glee had come out. And so in turn, that's also like right around the time of the Sopranos finale. Yeah. So don't stop believing takes off with one group of people because of that, but don't stop believing was in the pilot of Glee and became popularized through that as well. So I think really, like somehow, Journey had this crazy renaissance in the like aughts because of yeah a couple of different TV shows. Pop, just like getting
1: elevated pop culture, kind of like mm-hmm. how running up that hill on uh, on Stranger Things, yes. but with Kate Bush and everything, oh, it just happens every now thing. and then. What a great thing! It's Journey, like, so when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in my in middle school, high school, it was, like, MP3 players were just, like, starting to be the main mode of listening to music. But, right. my, like, my first MP3 player, you could put 12 songs on, you know? Like, it was that kind of – and, God, this is – one day you become old, you know what I mean? And then you start talking like that. I'm, I'm
0: starting I'm starting to feel it just simply seeing like uh, it, now it's no longer just Gen Z, it's Gen Alpha. And seeing the fact that, that those kids exist, like Gen Z makes me feel pretty old. And I'm like yeah. right there on the borderline, like I'm just barely a millennial. And so now that there's another generation and they're laughing at Gen Z, that's where I'm starting to like really feel what you're talking about. Astonishing.
1: But I had, uh, so CDs were still like a major player, and I yeah. had the Journey's Greatest Hit CD, and that thing, I mean, I could not escape it. That's p- as good They as make it gets. like perfect pop songs. They make like, uh, you know, rock, quote unquote, whatever you want to call Faith- it. But just Faithfully like,
0: is like a perfect oh, pop rock song to me. It's, it's as good as it gets.
1: So they say that the road is no play, and like and when you start yep. touring a stand up comedy, you're like twenty six <laughs> you're like, mm-hmm. It's not. You're not gonna start a film <laughs> anyway. You're like you're eating one pack of lunch meat, you know, the entire week. It costs you six dollars. But like it's you still you're like feeling that like turn the page by Bob Sager where you start like dramatizing your own life, even though you're just driving to Pocatello, Idaho, it's not that far. <laughs> but
0: that, that's the thing with that type of music, too, is it's, it's somehow has the type of reach that, I mean, like I'm listening to it at 14 and I'm like, yes, yeah. they just get me, even though it has nothing to do with, with anything that I'm going Those through. Those minor time. chords are
1: primordial, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they just like there's something about it that's coded into our DNA that just makes you feel like a burnt out <laughs> Canadian rock star.
0: Yep. They hit. They hit. The, even though, even though uh, they have nothing to do with what any of us are going through, somehow they're, they're finding a way to reach all of us. Which is, I guess, what great pop music does.
1: Absolutely. Journey's Canadian, right? Are they Canadian? No. Did I just make they? that up?
0: I think you might have. Let's find out. Journey, am I? Get, am I b- the band
1: painting them with a the rush brush. I might be.
0: That painting might them be with the what you're brush. doing. That they're yep. they're from San, San Francisco.
1: Francisco.
0: Wow. wow. That's. That's good to find out. See, I
1: never would have, never in a million years would I have guessed that.
0: And that's why you listen to Miami mic'd that's up, right. folks. You listen, you learn something new every day. Um, if they all had right. turned
1: out to be from Miami, we would have had to go dark after that. We had to pull a It
0: would have been. It would have been. Yeah, that would have been. Honestly, <laughs> that would have been the way to end it. It would have been nice to have you. Uh, but we, what we do need to talk about is is basketball a little bit here yeah, first. Hoops. And obviously, those of you listening who know Ian, uh, comedy first. But I also think you would identify yourself as a basketball fan right up there with being a comedian um, based off the the passion that you have whether it's on on the artist formerly known as Twitter or even on your different podcasts and so um, I know you're a huge Blazers fan from the I'm primarily a Joe
1: Cronin fan, just to, just to correct you. <laughs> all right, you. so you're the, already
0: – okay, so we're already going there. He happens to be
1: the GM of the Blazers, God, so I
0: root for the you Blazers. You jerk, you <laughs> jerk. Uh, all right, so Ian Carvel, huge Blazers fan. We'll get into the Blazers heat parts of this in in a moment. But right. I do want to know where your fandom started. Like, when did basketball sort of hit you across the face as this game that that ultimately made you fall in love with it in the way that you have?
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm from Portland, Oregon. I'm from Beaverton, Oregon, if anyone wants to get really specific, which is a suburb of Portland, Oregon, like seven miles to the west. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Trailblazers were the only game in town until we got the Timbers and the Thorns, our uh, Major League Soccer teams. And the Blazers have always, up until, you know, like the last couple years and then a couple years in the early 2000s, the Blazers are like a, or uh, (laughs) mid-2000s, relentlessly competent, and the higher end of competent, like, basketball teams. So they've always been pretty good. And in the early 90s, when I was sort of coming online, you know, when I was, like, six, seven, eight years old, they were amazing. They were fantastic. They were going to the finals and getting their brains beat in by Michael Jordan (laughs) or not getting – you know, like, putting up a fight against the Detroit Pistons. They were – fantastic so i just like loved those basketball teams like w- my dad would watch they'd be on at home my mom was a fan my dad would bring me to games mm. I-, I remember we had this thing called blazer cable back in the day when you had you would have to get a lot of these like instead of rsn's you would have like almost like hbo's that were run by the teams how interesting so we had blazer Cable. so you would subscribe to that and that was like all the games on tv And I remember, like, the intro to it was made by Will Vinton Studios, which is in Portland. Now, Leica. Now, it's Leica, the uh, company that makes, like, uh, Paranorman and those movies. Um, But, like, the people who made the California Raisins commercial. So, like, we had this, like, claymation intro.
0: That's awesome. Uh,
1: So that, even, like, as a kid, you were like, all right, sick. This is great. Yeah. Uh, I had, like, Michael, I had, like, all these tapes. I the Running Down a Dream, which was a VHS Mm. of the Blazers. I think, like, 91, 92 playoff run. Um, But to put the cherry on top of all of that, I think like most of the kids I knew liked the Blazers, but I was a little Jewish kid. I'm a I'm a big Jewish adult You're now. You're Jewish? I'm a hundred percent per mitzvah and everything. Thank you for asking. Been
0: wanting to do that for a long time.
1: <laughs> and I went to preschool at the Middleman Jewish Community Center. And the guy who owned the Blazers, uh, Harvey Glickman, I think that's right, Uh, something Glickman, uh, her, her, and it doesn't not. A I'll look
0: it up while you.
1: Yeah, owned uh owned the Blazers and, the Blazers practiced at the Middleman Jewish Community Center. This was you know before there was quite so much money in the NBA. Not every team had their own practice facility, so they ran practice where I went to preschool. So you would see wow, like Clyde Drexler walking around. You would That's see Jerome insane. Kersey. It was amazing. It, like these people. Who seemed like fictional characters? The idea that they were real was like it, like Batman was real. You know right. what I mean? It was like the same crazy thing. And then you're sitting in the cafeteria eating a knish, and Kevin Duckworth walks by, That's all seven foot, two hundred and sixty pounds of him, and you're like, no, no <laughs> way, <laughs> like, and you would run up to him, and they were nice. They're like they're nice dudes, so they would interact with the kids. He gave me a piggyback ride once. Wow, Kevin Duckworth. yeah, and I was like. There was no there was no saving me. You know, it was like... Yeah,
0: of course. Well, now you're all in. I mean, if you weren't already yeah. such a fan, now you, you have this emotional connection to these guys.
1: I used to make, like, construction paper, paper doll cutouts of the Blazers and, like, their different uniforms. I, like, hook, line, and sinker, dude. And then they were good. And then, like, they remained, like, you know, relentlessly competent basketball teams. So there was mm-hmm. never... Any period, I mean, I would have like even if they were terrible, I think I still would have been of a fan. but but they kept like feeding you. They were still like good teams, you know. You went from mm-hmm. those early '90s teams, and then like you know, you like it wasn't too long until you were rooting for like Rasheed Wallace, David yeah. Stoudemire.
0: That team you know, was fun. That team they was were fun. Amazing, yeah,
1: and would have won the championship if it weren't for that fourth quarter against the Lakers. Mm.
0: Like you're Shaq definitely not still bitter moment. about it. That's for sure, dude. It like <laughs> it.
1: we were up by 16 points going into the fourth quarter, and then the, there was like this Kobe to or the Shaq to Kobe alley oop, and then Shaq running back down the court like the, oh, like yep. pointing. It will haunt. It's probably gonna be the last thing I think about before I die.
0: Yeah, no wonder. No wonder you're you're so anti Lakers. Yeah,
1: dude, oh, God, I hate the Lakers so much. But how <laughs> could you not? I mean, how can you like? We were talking about, on, a, on Emotional Hoops, me and Harper and, and mm-hmm. Isaac Lee, who I do the podcast with, we're talking about the idea of rivals. Um, and we're going to try to embark on this, like, project to identify the true rival of every team.
0: Oh, I love that. Which I think is, like, a fun like a. That's a, a fun, fun exercise. That's a fun exercise. I like that a lot.
1: But my question is, can you pick the Lakers for 12 of the teams? Right, because everybody –
0: it's almost like the Yankees in baseball. Yeah. They're they're just – they're the evil empire in part because they've had so much success for so many years and so many different generations of people have hated them in turn.
1: Right. So, like, the Blazers probably hate the Lakers the most. The Clippers hate the Lakers the most. The Celtics hate the Lakers the most. And then the Kings probably hate the Lakers the most. They're, like, all these programs that, like, where – but the Lakers, it's the John Ham. it's like, well, I don't think about you at
0: all. Right, like, that's exactly what I was just <laughs> yeah. thinking. That's so funny. Yeah, it's literally, it's that exactly. Well, and it's interesting because like, I think that when you talk about rivalries, there are so many that have evolved over yeah. time. Like I know for the Heat, Everybody pegs the Knicks as the Heat's biggest rivalry. Sure. But because of the Knicks' ineptitude of the last two decades and the Heat sort of being consistently great as as you've mentioned, you know, a team that's been competent no matter what, no matter what yeah. the circumstances. Better really than it's become yeah, certainly. And and it's really become more like the Celtics. Like the Celtics and the Heat is the biggest rivalry there. And so yeah. Is that is that the case for the Celtics? Because now this generation has seen so many conference titles against each other or for them, do they still hate the Lakers more like that's the interesting dynamic and especially because like Ray Allen left to come here and I know that broke yeah. up their victory, and then he won a title here and those guys all hate each other and it's part because of this franchise. So it's interesting. I, I'm excited to listen to that because going through all those rivalries is really fascinating.
1: I think the Celtics, I think advice, I think the Heat haunt the Celtics dreams more than the Lakers do and probably have for the last decade.
0: It's clear based off of the tweets of everyone who works at the Ringer that the Heat, <laughs> that the heat haunt the, the, the minds of Celtics fans.
1: Well, Bill Simmons is like, I mean, like, con- like constantly talking about how afraid of the Heat he is.
0: It's almost as if they're like trying to do the reverse jinx where yeah. they're just talking up the heat so much in the hopes that it falls apart. Because they last year, there was some of the like, oh, God, I don't want to play the heat. But this year, it feels like from day one, no matter who's been on the floor, Jaime Hawkins is the greatest player who's ever existed. Yeah. How did they do it again? <laughs> like all of all of these narratives that they've been throwing out there. And, and speaking of those narratives, some of those began because of this offseason between the Blazers and the Heat. Not a rivalry, yeah. but a Twitter rivalry for certain. Uh, yeah. it, obviously, as, as everyone remembers, there were lots of rumors of Damian Lillard being traded to the Miami Heat. He asked to come to Miami. Many of Ulti-
1: them from Dame himself. Many yeah. of
0: them from Dame himself, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, his, and his agency. Um, and ultimately, it seemed as though uh, it was a shoo-in that Damian Lillard would end up with the Miami Heat. Obviously, he is now a Milwaukee Buck. Um, one of my favorite moments of that whole saga, as I was on Twitter taking victory laps, I got a very earnest message from you that was just, yeah. I can't take this anymore and I'm going to have to unfollow you, which just showed how intense this was for everybody involved, truly. I was I was like,
1: I, I took Twitter off my phone and I'm like, <laughs> I like jeremy so much and but i'm like i'm not regarding him as the person who i like digitally like know and adore but as like another heat fan and i'm like i have to unfollow i him hate now. this man because i don't i don't <laughs> want to mute you because then i'm gonna that seems disingenuous to me and maybe what if i forget and then all right. of a sudden i'm like where the f- is jeremy you where know he go? so i was like for my mental health i just have to until this thing is over and i think it. i think like I am maturing as a, because I know myself. That's part of like getting older, where you like I used to get into some of the wor- like just the most toxic Twitter beefs, not with like, like again, like it, I never would have with you kind of thing, but like with people, just random people like on Twitter. No, uh, I get it.
0: I get it. I I live oh. in there, unfortunately.
1: I, I'm on there like too much for my own health too, but like mm-hmm. I would feel like my blood pressure going up yep. and I'm flying through these rage. And I would say things that you wouldn't say to war criminals <laughs> just because just they said that Russell Westbrook was better than Damian Lillard. And I was like, I, like I'd be like your parents, you, like they tell you they love you, but they're disappointed in mo- many of the choices you've made in your life. Just like insane, insane things. Where it was like it would have been healthier if we had like soccer hooligan brawls outside of the stadium
0: that actually would be i think a healthy decision like we just yeah. we, every fan base just picks in you know, three or four people and they all just fight to the death no and bats yeah gotta be hands just yeah. fist-to-fist combat and we do it gladiator style and yeah. just let everyone <laughs> go out steam. there yeah <laughs> just it'll help everyone out i think well that being said how how are you feeling about how all that went down and the results of it now? And what yeah. what do you make of the sort of weird Twitter rivalry that now exists between the Heat and Blazers fan bases?
1: Um, it's well, it's kind of a tough time for us to be engaged in a in a rivalry with a successful franchise like that because we are. Uh, it's not the rebuilding. Time yeah, it's not. It's the, like it's hard for us to. It's hard for us to like brag or like be like. We'll see on the court or anything like that because right. we're woeful. Although not as woeful as the truly woeful teams, we're kind of like one notch there's,
0: above. There's worse teams in the NBA, and that is for certain. It, you're yeah. not the Wizards, and you're not the Hornets. Congratulations, right, exactly.
1: And we're not even the Spurs, which no. is you know, kind of a surprise. Yeah,
0: very surprising. Um,
1: so I like what's weird is when Damian Lillard said he wanted to be traded. I think it was a little bit of a relief. In a weird way for Blazers fans who like w- where it felt like it was heading in this direction. Although now you see how well the Knicks are playing with OGN and OB, and you're like, what it would have been great if they really did try to press that. Um, because once you hit a rebuild, you never know how it's going to go and you never know right. how long it's going to be for. Well,
0: that's that's the part that's that's difficult yeah. is in the rebuild where you assume, all right, that's a two- to three-year window of rough basketball. Right. But for some teams, that ends up taking six or seven years to come out of it. Because, right. uh, look, as as a team, as someone that has watched um, on the baseball side of things and, and covers yeah. through Bally Sports here the Miami Marlins, there's been so many sort of resets where you get to a certain point of the rebuild and then realize, mm, actually, those members of the core need to go if we're really gonna maximize this thing. And that's always the fear when you're in that rebuild mode.
1: Yeah. And it's hard to like, I mean, it, even when that's the right decision to make, it's right. like makes the games harder to watch as a fan. Yeah. Like every single time where you're like, you know, when you actually, if you're just following the blazers from afar, you're like trade Brogdon. You know what I mean, like right. trade Jeremy Grant, trade so and so, trade so and so. But then you like watch Jeremy Grant hit like a uh, crazy Brogdon and Grant go back to back to hit like crazy shots to send us to overtime in a game we win. You're like, I like those guys. Yeah, it's ultimately <laughs> you know an like?
0: entertainment product, right? Like you yeah. wanna you wanna be able to watch a team. That's that's the 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 best thing that you can have during one of those times where you're not tanking, but you're in yeah. the rebuild stage and you know your roster isn't quite there is a guy like jeremy grant right like someone who is just a very good basketball player that on a on a good team would be a huge contributor but isn't quite great enough to be able to actually no. lead you to a ton of wins and so in turn it's like all right we're still getting a level of entertainment and professionalism around watching this team play as opposed to like some of those sixers teams in the past or even the yeah. thunder for a couple of years where it was like man these aren't even nba players on, there's on nothing the court. here right yeah
1: the, uh, but to go back to your, like how I feel about the heat, rival, like it is the kind of thing where I'm like, I, w- so when we, when Dame asked for a trade, we were like, well, it was a relief in that way where it was like, okay, man, you've been here for so long. It didn't quite work out. It seems like whatever's going to happen, the timetables aren't going to work out for you to be your best here. So you're kind of at peace with Dame leaving. And then your brain immediately moves on to like, well, I love Damian Lillard. But I'm a Trailblazer fan, and I was a fan when it was Lamarcus Aldridge, and I was a fan when it was Brandon Roy, and I was a fan oh, when Brandon it was Rasheed Roy. Wallace and Steve Smith, and like all the, you know, and I was a fan like going back, 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 back all the way to the first game you remember seeing, and you're like, I wish Damian Lillard well, and I thank him for everything he did, and if he came back in three years, he could run for mayor and win, and I would vote for him, you know, not that I, I live in L.A., but like, um, <laughs> but then you start thinking like well, we need to get the best package possible. And you look at what, like, the Jazz got for Donovan Mitchell and what the right. Jazz got for Rudy Gobert, and you start looking mm-hmm. around and you're like, all right, fantastic. So I never, like, I would have been thrilled if he ended up in Miami, because right. I want him to have the best chances to win possible, because I'm like, man, like, it's like that dude rules. I like right. know him personally a little bit. He's an awesome guy. He's genuine. He, like, really is that professional and nice and just, like, a cool dude. Um, But you're like, but I I want to root for the Blazers. I would like us to be that Miami Heat team at some point. I want us to have, like... The Bam Adebayo and the Jimmy Butler. And I want us to have well, I remember, like this. Board, I remember you know? your
0: free Bam narrative, all right? I oh, remember yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs>
1: well, I would like us to literally have Bam Adebayo. Yeah, that right. Was,
0: like, that was about. <laughs> <laughs> right. It would like to quite literally have him on your team. No, but I, I get it where you want to be able to build something sustainable. And so you're looking for that theoretical best package back, which is why... Every single time Jaime Jaquez or Nikola Jovic scores a bucket, the entire Heat fan base is quote tweeting it and saying like, "Oh, the Cronin package is doing great."
1: Yeah, but was but was that the Cronin package? Right, and I that, do,
0: like that's the part that's that I think is is funny about all of this is that right. none of us really know what any of the offers were, and none of us really know what it would have turned out to be if the trade was made. Where. Right. You have what ultimately became the package from Milwaukee that landed Dame in Milwaukee with now a fired coach and uh, a a franchise that's in a really interesting place despite winning a lot and having one of the greatest players in basketball. Two of the greatest players in basketball. Two
1: of the players. I feel terrible
0: for Damian Lillard now.
1: You know what I mean? Where I'm like, oh, (laughs)
0: yeah it's that that part of it where you're like oh man he probably would have been a lot happier in miami but he probably would have been a lot
1: happier in miami but like at the same but like again i root for the blazers and we don't know what that heat package like putting aside all of the like the thing that killed me about not like and i have to clarify because i know not just you but a bunch of like really great people who (laughs) are fans of the heat who are like reasonable but i was like it was the entitlement to Damian Lillard yep. where it was like yep. no, it he was. is under contract with the Blazers. They do yep. – he can say where he would like to go. You know what I mean? I'd like to eat at the French Laundry every night. Like <laughs> we, Everybody can like want, like want things that aren't necessarily possible. So like Cronin who took a lot of like flack, it was like his job was to get what he thought was the best package in return – for Damian Lillard, for this amazing player, this franchise player. But there were people like calling it like the, the calling us a, fran- a poverty franchise was like, oh the yeah, big. dude,
0: that was the big one. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's like, well, we're, I mean, we're, we're a very small market. But we're definitely not a poverty franchise. Like, look at like when you call us a poverty franchise, you're just saying like the old "you don't know ball."
0: It's from a perspective. It's from a perspective of a fan base that's like been to so many finals in the last several years, and so in turn, it's like anyone that hasn't done that outside of the what three or four teams that have done that this century. Right. It's like looked at, looked down upon, which was not a fair way of approaching it. I could totally understand and was on the side of hey. I think whatever the package is going to be like, I think Tyler Hero is a very good basketball player and a redundance yeah. of guys at a certain position is not really a big deal when you're rebuilding because you figure it out and you use the other ones of value and blah, blah, blah when yeah. it comes to that. But on the same token, if if the view was this other package is better, uh, I think I think what it is also is Heat fans were looking at at at. Uh, Robert Williams and going hey man we, we saw that guy get hurt we saw what that looks like we see DeAndre well, yeah. Ayton and what he's ultimately been the, thus far this season it's like man is that quite the best package and so that was where I think everything really got sparked Was it was already frustrating
1: Ayton's kind of a I mean he's kind of he will live the rest of his career being a little bit of a punchline mm-hmm. um, but he's also ha- like in the games he's been able he's to so drive skilled. to he has not <laughs> been. He has not. He has not been as god awful as, as his reputation, or like what oh, I no. heard from Suns fans when he got like a uh, traded
0: to us. They, I don't hate think he's like a DeAndre They crazy. hate him so much,
1: but he's like you know he's playing within himself. I thought when he got to the Blazers, he'd be all of a sudden jacking up like twenty five shots a game, and it's like no, he's grabbing a lot of boards. He's like. You know, he is not as aggressive an offensive player as you'd like him to be as far as, like, getting to the rim. But, like, he is skilled. Um, No, he's he's a good
0: piece. He's a good piece.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kills me because Robert Williams, that's like when you get that package, I think every single Blazer fan was thinking when we saw Malcolm Brogdon, we were like first-round pick. And when we (laughs) saw Time Lord, we were like there's another first-round pick. Yep. Because the way we build our teams and have always built our teams you know, is like, you have to do it through the draft. Right. And to a lesser extent through trades, but like it has to be
0: through the draft. Because you got to build a core. Go,
1: we Well, we just can't go get guys. Like Right. It's guys, a totally
0: different thing. Guys aren't going to sign in Portland in the same, in the same fashion that they will in Miami, yeah. LA, other places around Hado ter-
1: like uh, Toronto, Orlando, like Hado Turkoglu would not sign with us because his, you know, because of his wife. Like he was like, no, this is too far out. This is like a backwater. Instead, I'm going to go to Canada. Toronto's an amazing, international, beautiful city that I love. But like, you know, like we can't get anyone. So for us, and I think Cronin, who's been with the organization for a long time, probably saw mm-hmm. the same way where it was like, I need assets I can control Yep. if I'm going to try to build around this 20-year-old Shaden Sharp and this 19-year-old, you know, Scoot. Yeah. Or whoever that was going to be, whether it was Brandon Miller or Scoot or whoever mm-hmm. he was going to get with that draft pick, um. So I think you know, like I understood where he was coming from, but it was just like, it's it's a painful breakup when like a star player, even if like that's what it even is, even if like you're like we should break up, it still hurts. Yeah, you, know?
0: you were together for so long. You went through yeah. your prime years together. Like that would be something that hurts. I remember um, Dan Lebetard compared uh, LeBron. Leaving Miami, yeah, and Miami's fan base being the mistress as LeBron went back to his wife, and it's yeah. like you always knew it was gonna happen, but it still hurt in the end. Where it was right. like you knew and you were having so much fun, and maybe the most fun either of you would ever have, but ultimately you knew where this was going to end up he yeah. was always going to go back and i think there's a similar like there is some hurt as a fan you grow these attachments to these players where it does feel like truly like losing someone in your life yeah. that you've watched you know however many times over the span of nearly a decade he was our high school sweetheart he wasn't even right. our mistress you know what right I mean? exactly was the dude he from, was like <laughs> from day he was the guy
1: from the beginning and who like loves Portland, and, like, you know, you could, like, as a Blazer fan, you can, like, rattle off all these, like, him as a rookie, like, uh, the stories coming out of him taking a leadership role in the locker room when, like, LaMarcus Aldridge was kind of shying away from that. Like, all these amazing stories about Damian Lillard, the play uh, you know, the, the bad shot against Paul George, mm-hmm. hitting that one over Chandler Parsons. Like, this is somebody who, like, is sewn into the fabric of the team who many Blazers fans, you know, it diminishes as the older those fans get but a lot of people consider him the greatest blazer of all time didn't even get to the finals you know we've had people win the championship we had those rip city teams get to the finals like and still people consider him the greatest uh ever so that entitlement like i think like that as a blazer fan you just have to be like yo man like if he he does go to the heat fine like and if it would have been just like hey the cover of darkness he does the trade request never even goes public. It's just one day, Chris Haynes, uh, Damian Lillard goes to the Heat in a package for who? Had Tyler Hero, three second round draft picks and <laughs> Kyle Lowry's ass. Like it would have been like, <laughs> or whatever that package that was actually getting offered. Um The Blazers fans would have been like, "Well, shit, that's all we got." But good luck, Dame. You know, right. like
0: I think it, you're right. I think it's because of the way it played out in public. And the fact that there got to be all of this time almost of like it was like there was I mean, as I was saying, I was taking Twitter victory laps like there was this time of celebration before the move even happened. Yeah. And So you're getting your face rubbed in it as a Blazers fan in a way that that had to be infuriating. But I will say as someone who who genuinely loves basketball, I am deeply sorry about Brandon Roy. Because he was the oh greatest. He was so gonna be so incredible. And me and my me and like my my friends all loved Brandon Roy and were so excited to see him. And obviously yeah. that's an infuriating ending to his career with injuries. But
1: I mean, but we knew. It was yeah. like drafting yeah, there's a reason he slipped to where he did in the draft. It was like one of those YA novels where it's like <laughs> the, there's a love story and one of them has like some kind of unnamed cancer. You know what I mean? Where it's like <laughs> yeah. it's the fault in our stars. Where it's right. <laughs>
0: Where or it's like, it's you know like the, what's going to happen. It's You're inevitable. so in love,
1: but you know where this is going oh, ultimately because he just didn't have any cartilage in either of his knees. Yep. But, dude, yep. he was, I mean, he was spectacular. He mm-hmm. was beautiful. He was yeah. amazing.
0: Well, as, as a franchise that also understands knee issues co- becoming a point. I mean, not it wasn't the same way. We got a lot of lot of time out of Dwayne Wade. But the end of his career, yeah. those knees started to flare up. So I, I don't want to hear it slightly. from you. Yeah, I know. I get it. <laughs> uh, all right. So moving moving to the rest of basketball.
1: That's <laughs> um, <laughs> the other thing about the Heat. <laughs> Is there that you guys don't have, like that you can't understand is like I can't relate. You can't is that like uh, you drafted Damian, uh Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. Wade amazing yep. draft pick right mm-hmm. I mean fantastic but you like you got Shaq and you got LeBron hey they were and trades you got Bosch. technically were trades, all of them and you got. Like, we were complicit in you getting Butler, but it involved us taking Hassan Whiteside oh, for my God. some reason.
0: That was, uh, okay, let me, as someone that uh, was absolutely on the, Hassan Whiteside's going to be the greatest center of all time. And then very I mean, that quickly, one he, right, very quick, he, he had, it was like 10 rebounds in eight minutes in like his first game. And we were yeah. all convinced he was going to be the greatest ever who very quickly turned around and and quite literally would refer to him as he who shall not be named for quite a long time. <laughs> uh, watching that trade unfold in the way that it did and seeing that the Blazers were taking Hassan Whiteside and, and in turn also landing Myers Leonard, who was a wonderful piece of that Heat team for yeah. a couple of years until obviously, you know, everything happened there. Um, I will say in defense yeah. of Myers Leonard. Also, by the way, he's done you... a lot of work. In the community, he has like, truly he like, cares.
1: I have to, I guess, in the like, like again. This is somebody who I have like a personal yeah. relationship with, and I talked to the day him saying that wow. word like surfaced on you know because I like I I genuinely believe, it, and you can call me a dumbass or naive or whatever it is. I talked to him that day, and he did not because I was like I, I believe I texted that him and I was like, dude, what like, and he was like, I didn't know what that word. We give people too much credit sometimes. I think because mm-hmm. we want to destroy them. He is a big, big sweet guy. Sweet, yeah. S- pretty simple, and I don't mean that like he's stupid. I mean mm-hmm. like he went from be- he was a high, high, like seven foot tall dude in rural Illinois. Yeah. He always knew where he was going, like as an athlete, and then said that. Um, heard other gamers say it. I'm sure because the oh, anti-Semitism and racism and sexism are like so rampant in those circles found out what it meant and was like horrified and then immediately met with, you know, like met with rabbis, like oh, kids yeah. going to like Passover, you know what I mean? Like all that, like all that stuff and like really actually putting in the work to to show that like, hey man, I want to like understand this community and also I'm so sorry.
0: Right. It was um, the, it, in, in terms of him leaving the roster, it was the move that he'd had to make at the time. But for yeah. Myers, I, I feel bad because I, I'll tell you, like, the experience, he was the go-to guy uh, when COVID was going on, and we were all away from the team, and the the league was shut down, and there were just occasional media availabilities via Zoom when everybody was learning how to use Zoom. Myers was always the guy that the Heat were putting on the Zooms to kind of talk to everybody, and he was a leader on the team, and, you know, an important part of it, he was was the starting center at that time um, on a team that ultimately went to the finals, um, despite his role diminishing in the playoffs, but... I mean, he would sit on those Zooms for like 40 minutes and answer yeah. every single question anybody had and genuinely ask how people were doing. I, I think a very good guy who unfortunately said the wrong thing um, and has, has clearly tried to, to repay for it in the ways that he can. Yeah. Um, but we are going to talk about the rest of the NBA real quick before we get to some other stuff in your career. Sure. Because on your podcast, Emotional, um, you guys do main characters of the week, yes. Um, and I, 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 wrote down a few potential main characters for the season. Um, and okay. then I, 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 but I'd like you to either select one of these or pick your own as as someone or something that has been a main character. So I've got Shea Gilgis Alexander and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Just sure. in general, they have been such a joy to watch. When they came down here and played against the Heat, I mean, it was remarkable watching him play, and it's been so cool to see him launch into superstardom. You got Draymond Green, just for you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> being Draymond Green. And the last one I wrote down was just points because I feel like offenses are playing at a level that I've never seen before. I think yeah. I think it's something like the top 8 uh, offensive performances this season would be the great eight greatest offensive teams of all time.
1: Yeah. The six highest offensive ratings, like they they would each break the record right. set
0: last year. Right, right. It's yeah. insane. It's completely <laughs> yeah. nuts. And you've got guys like Joel Embiid scored 70 on the same night. The Cats scoring 60-plus points. Yeah. So any of those three or your own as you look around the NBA this season is something that, hey, that's been one of the main characters I've been keeping my eye on.
1: I think of those three points is definitely the biggest main character for me because the Thunder are like amazing. But I think they become the main character once if they get to the playoffs and like make some noise ahead of schedule. Right. Because the problem with the Thunder is that like Shea, who is by, you know, by far their best player, which is not uh, which is not faint praise of their second best. of like Jalen Williams or Chet or any of those guys who are also amazing. players. So Good already. Uh, He's so quiet. Mm. Do you feel like you know anything about Shea with Alexander?
0: It's almost like it's similar to the Kawhi thing, yeah. Where where it's like he's so aloof, and I don't feel like I know anything. I just know that he's amazing to watch play basketball.
1: Yeah, he's a f- he phenomenal. And then like off the court, there's no there's no world building. Do you yeah. you know what I mean? Do you yeah, use like a like, no, that's a that great way of putting LA? it. Yeah. yeah, I know he's Canadian. Yeah, and that's it. I know he's Canadian and he's he quiet. Did, and he's, I think
0: he did a Skims ad.
1: That was he did maybe Skims ad. That I know. But he needs like I mean, part of it is being in Oklahoma City, sure. Mm-hmm. But also, I think more of it is like he's probably more withdrawn. Maybe he's not interested in being this big like superstar with a capital S. He's fine with being a lowercase s like on the court. But I want, I need like, I don't even know what shoe company he's with. Nike? Maybe. Yeah, I actually
0: don't know. That's a good point
1: get behind this dude start telling Mm -hmm. start telling us the story Because, like you know like i like i love watching basketball games but i also love the narratives and i don't know what the narrative of him is other than he's really good at basketball Mm -hmm. he was part of the paul george trade i know more about paul george
0: yeah exactly (laughs) right yeah right 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 no it's crazy to think that but yeah points i think are maybe the good way to go because when you look around the league and you see not only these teams, but these individuals where on any given night you're looking at box scores and you're like, oh, there's eight different guys who scored 40 tonight.
1: I don't even know what to think about it. I don't mm-hmm. know what context. in. My, I'm like 70 points is impressive no matter what, right? And a, a seven-footer going for 70, something that it's only happened tw- two other times. David Robinson and Will Chamberlain Crazy. did it about 65 times.
0: Yeah, um, right.
1: And those are the only times it's happened. The level, like, that Joel Embiid is able to score
0: at. It's amazing.
1: You know, and, and then hit his free throws on top of it and get, like, some games gets another 20 points out of just hitting yeah. his free throws is, like, absurd. And that, I can think, I'm like, he would be doing this. Period. In, ni- in like, 1996. Yep. Probably 1988. I think he would be this good no matter what. Then, and I love these dudes, you look at, like, Luka Doncic and you're like, so, it's just 38 15 and 12 most nights. I, but what does that mean?
0: Like, is that, what does that mean? It's almost like, and I, I think eventually we will look at it this way, not in terms of some of the disgrace that's there, but yeah, the baseball steroid era where there were all the like guys that you've never heard of were hitting 50 plus home runs in yeah. a season and McGuire hit 70 and then bonds hit 73 and right. Sosa hit 60 plus in four straight seasons. And we started to be like, oh, these are the greatest baseball players of all time. We then found out, obviously, some, some differences. And now when you look back at those numbers in comparison and you look back at some of the guys who were hitting, say, 52 home runs, you're like, oh, that's like a guy now hitting 35 home runs, which is yeah. really good, but yeah. it's not what you thought it was. And so I think eventually our perception will catch up to the reality of where offense is right now because I think you're right. Like you're looking at 38, 15, and 12, and you're like – Well, that's just unhuman, but with the pace the games are going at where there was a game. It was so funny. There was one night where the Heat beat the Lakers. It was 110 to 96. Yeah. I looked at some of the other scores in the league, and there was a game that ended (laughs) 154-148, and I was like, this is a different sport. These teams are playing a different sport than the other ones, but that's what's really crazy right now. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's go ahead and dive into some stuff about you because oh, I, can I uh,
1: pitch you one other main character? For oh, the, pitch for me the another! Really please
0: point? pitch me another main character.
1: I kind of think like, in in a in a negative way, but also a positive way, like age. I Ooh. think we're seeing like, like or just like time. Yeah, because we're seeing the Golden State Warriors like hit this the wall end. of time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like like Steph is still Steph. Maybe half a notch below where he was. Maybe not. Maybe it's just because who he's surrounded by is not making him like, like I'm not going to go 100% tonight. But you so you're Clay. saying
0: trade Steph to the Heat? Is that what you're saying? Trade Steph
1: to the Heat. Yeah, yeah that's, free that's free, Steph.
0: free Steph. Free Steph.
1: I think a three-team tr- trade, Steph to the Heat, Bam to the Blazers, uh, Brogdon. No, thank you. Picks. Brogdon and Picks to, no, the, thank you. to the Warriors. Yeah, Brogdon Everybody and Picks. Everybody signs off on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's super normal. Yeah, everyone will go for that.
1: Uh, pretty good trade. The... I think but you're seeing Clay, who can still hit the three, but can't do any of those other things that Clay he can't guard the same way, he can't get to the rim the same way. Draymond is still good, but like getting older and like dealing with the frustrations of getting older and like all that. And like But then you're seeing like LeBron not miss any games, but also like not able to drag his team to victory quite the same way he used to, even if the stats yeah. are good. And that's another thing about the numbers is like right. Yeah, his stats really haven't dipped, but They're losing. So what what do those matter?
0: And it's like his stats stats haven't dipped, but everyone else's have sort of risen around him. So it's like his are still the same. But if you're now, if the average team is scoring 130 as compared to, man, there were games when the big three won games scoring 90 points. Yeah. You know, like it's a completely different era of basketball than when he was at like the peak of his powers. If you wanted to cause a uh,
1: sort of a internet uh, hornet's nest. Maybe I do. Maybe you do. I think you should come out with a take that LeBron James is a good stats, bad team guy.
0: Oh, my God. He has
1: turned into a good stats, bad team guy.
0: I work on an NBA broadcast. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure I should be that guy. But I'll co-sign. I can co-sign yours if you want to do it.
1: Float it out there. But I don't have any.
0: I have no authority. He's a looter and a riot. He's a looter and a riot, LeBron James. (laughs) It's the same as as what Terry Rozier was doing in Charlotte. It's, hey, his his stats are elevated because they're a bad team.
1: Exactly right. They're ninth in the West. <laughs> if he was actually, if he was actually on a
0: good team, he'd really be averaging like sixteen, seven, and four.
1: You drop LeBron on the Heat at best, coming off the bench. You know,
0: yeah, backup power forward, really starting yeah. those outlet passes, <laughs> just like Kevin Love, just playing the same Kevin Love role. It's perfect. Just find your role, fit yeah, in. Yeah, that's fit all. In. Don't fit out. Yeah. all right all right so let's let's dive into a little bit and i've already God, i we started this by saying i wasn't going to keep you that long and here we are already i love 50 it i don't have to be this.
1: anywhere for half an hour
0: great so then we're good so let's yeah. let's dive in um to your new book that's coming out t-shirt oh, yeah. swim club i'm i'm so excited for this um Thank you. i as someone who uh wore a shirt in the pool into my teens yeah. uh, out of body insecurity and blaming my mom saying I needed to wear a sunshirt because of my fair skin. The title is, is great. <laughs> um, but there's also gotta be some really cool joy in writing this with your sister. Um, yeah. So I would love to have you be able to tell the people about this book that you've written. Um, yes. But also I, I'd love to know about the experience of bouncing your story ideas off of your sister and her expertise.
1: Yeah. So it's been uh just I'm I'm trying to like craft the uh pitch. I'm trying yeah. to like get into good shape. Uh so I you know like right now I weigh around two hundred and thirty five, two hundred and forty pounds. It's somewhere between two twenty five and two forty depending on what I had for dinner the night before. It's insane perfect. The way that salt makes you fluctuate. Oh my but God. uh I weighed, like in 2019, I weighed about 420 pounds. I was like a really big dude. On, I was unhealthy as well. You can be healthy at a lot of different sizes. I was unhealthy and that big. Um, and I and I lost that weight. I got down to around 220 at my lowest. But I was a fat kid growing up, a fat teenager, fat adult, fat, all those things. And after I lost the, lost the weight, Uh, I was kind of like reflecting on the entire experience and I'm a stand-up comedian as well and I'd done a ton of stand-up about being fat. My little sister uh, was also a fat kid and a fat adult and she lost weight around the same time I did, but she is a clinical psychologist. So she is the kind of person where if you want a gastric bypass surgery, you you have to go through uh, an evaluation and you have to wait for six months so you don't just get like a spur of the moment you know, major surgery because you're like worried about how you look in a dress or a or a suit. Mm. Um, so she is the kind of person people have to talk to. So this is like her specialty. Wow, she works with like kids who have been, you know, like f- with fat kids. I'm trying to take the sting out of the word because I no, don't think but it there, doesn't be bad.
0: Ha- yeah, there doesn't have yeah, there doesn't have to be a sting in that though, like at all. Right, everybody's a different with, shape and size.
1: She works with fat kids and she works with fat adults as well. Um, so we we were just talking and I was like, we should write a book. You know, we should write it like, cause I can write comedic essays. This is your area of expertise. Uh, and we started, you know, we started batting it around. We took it to a publisher. The publisher bought it, which was amazing. And then we started writing this book and it ended up being like a series of essays kind of about myself and kind of about culture. Uh, 13 different ones. Um, where I just write about my experiences. I write about being like a fat kid and like figuring out what that meant, like for the first time, like on the schoolyards where people call you fat and you figure out that you're different then. I wrote about being like a fat middle schooler uh, and like almost getting too much encouragement from like gym teachers. I write about being a fat middle schooler. So there's a story in the book. Uh, I had this gym teacher where he was teaching a gymnastics unit. And I weighed yeah. like 320 pounds in middle school. Probably. I was like big. I was also like six feet tall by that point. I was one of those kids. My bar mitzvah photos, I look like a Clydesdale hanging out with goats. It's crazy. <laughs> and uh, he was like, we were, run- we were running this vault, you know, where you run, hit a, hit a, uh, like a bouncy floor piece yeah. and go over this palm horse vault. And all- everyone had to do it. And mm. all the other kids had done it. And every class, you know, like he was like, it's, you got to do it. You got to do it before the uh, end of the semester. You got to do it. And I was like, you don't want me to do it. I don't want to do it. You don't want me to do it. And he was this like T-shirt tucked into sweatpants, bald head mustache, wrestling coach, super positive, like didn't want me to think I was different than the rest of the kids. Even though in this one way, I was different than the rest of the kids. Right. And he like, kept, and it got to the point where his encouragement was galling. It was embarrassing. Because it was making me, it was like every time he was like, you can do it, it was pointing out the fact that I was different and there was this thing that I couldn't Mm. do
0: and uh and what a relatable by the way story for anyone who has ever felt different in some of those ways right like whether you're a kid who's going through something like that where it's because of your size or anything like someone who's just come to America and doesn't speak English and they're in class and they're being encouraged to read out loud or something like that or
1: someone speaking too loud to them in English you know what I mean like does that make sense and they think they're being positive but they're not yeah
0: right and and it's Uh, not even it not even always in a vitriolic or hateful or or judgmental weight, trying your best to be Rarely. encouraging right yeah. but not understanding the way you're signaling this person out
1: so he kept every class you got a carmel today's the day you got a carmel today's mm-hmm. the day and then eventually towards the end of the semester i was like fine we're going to do this and i took all 320 pounds of myself sprinted down that runway and he was standing on the other side of the vault to he was like i'll catch you i'll help guide you you're gonna do it. And I was like, oh, all right, man. And I was sprinting down. I hit the uh the trampoline or whatever that thing is the, the springboard. I hit mm-hmm. the springboard and took to the air. And as soon as I took to the air, I saw in this like sixty-year-old man's eyes the mistake he had realized he had made. <laughs> as this three hundred and twenty-pound matzo ball was flying <laughs> at him. <laughs> I hit him oh, so hard no. he went down like a guess who placard it was <laughs> clack like that like he went down like that fast <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, no. I swear to God I started laughing midair because I thought it was so funny that I was about to like wipe out this teacher oh and I got man. immediate like I got immediate uh satisfaction of this dude like like making me feel like the other even though yeah. he was doing it positively um. So what I say, I say that to say this, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to write about the experiences of being a fat kid and a fat adult in the most specific ways I can, because I do think that's how you become the most relatable where you talk about the stuff you actually go through. Another thing story in the book is about, you know, being at six flags with my, uh, with my dad and my sister and waiting in this long line to get to like for an hour and a half to get to the front of this roller coaster and it wouldn't close over my belly. And like I had to stand up while all these people and you hear, you know, and then somebody yelled.
0: And everybody talks. And, yeah, uh, mm.
1: right, exactly. And th- so just these like moments that are just so horrifying and just so like, you know, awful. And then growing up like thinking Fat Bastard and Cartman were very funny, but then also realizing like then people would yell, get my belly. And like, I'm not mm. fat, I'm big boned at me like all the time. and. It's not. It's a lot funnier than it sounds. But right. No. But I think
0: that's that's it. Right. Is you can find a way. The story you just told is funny. Right, and I, I right. imagine there will be a ton of those stories in there that are relatable, but also can can help anyone who doesn't relate to that experience. Like as as someone who in the yeah. in the most minor way, as I just mentioned, like wore a swim shirt because I was insecure about my body. Yeah, it can relate in the slightest way. Can't relate to exactly what it was that you were going through, but I'm excited to like read those stories and hear about them because everybody in their lives at a different point, through one reason or another, yeah, feels some sort of like. Often, if you're self-aware, uh, otherizing of oh man, maybe I don't Absolutely. belong in this group and so to to be able to relate to that feeling through comedic stories I think is something that's really wonderful
1: and half of this country is overweight, you know what I mean like either if, if somebody hasn't gone through it themselves, one of their best friends, one of their family members, somebody they love is like going through this stuff and we just wanted to write about it so I write a comedic like, Kind of a comedic memoir, and then also essays about things like shopping, like in the big and tall section, going to the doctor, Mm. and I also tried to write about it because I think like there have been many wonderful books written by people like Roxane Gay, Lindy West, you know what I mean, like um, that have covered this from a uh, a woman's point of view, Mm. in a universal point of view as well, but also from specifically a woman's point of view, and I want I I felt like. Growing up and also as an adult, there wasn't a lot of discussion about this amongst fat men. Yeah. And I wanted to write something that like I could have picked up five years ago and been like, oh, this dude is going through what I go through. And, you know, and like I and I talk about losing weight and like how I lost that weight, and Mm. like how I my like my maintenance phase or whatever. And I talk about that, but it's not a how to guide. But I talk about it because I'm like, it is you can do it. And mostly I want to talk about how impossible it seems before you've
0: done it. Right. Well, and I, I can't imagine doing it from that perspective of, of feeling that burden. Cause I mean, I'm like, I'm looking, you know, and everyone goes through these things. Right. But like, I'm presently at a point where I'm like, man, I'm at, I'm at about the top of where I want my weight to be. And January
1: is the month for that. Oh
0: man. dude. (laughs) We And we had a, we had a, we got married back in August, but we had like a wedding celebration a couple of weeks ago. And so it was like, ah, we'll spend the week before eating well. And then since then it's been an absolute garbage can You're my like everything. Like Templeton I mean, the Rat at the Right? Thing. Oh my yeah, God, absolutely. it's crazy. And so in turn, I'm like, ah, oh, I want to lose blank. And even just that, you know, putting that in front of you feels so daunting. So to be able to kind of leave that out there for people, I think is really wonderful. And to have a story yeah. to relate to is, is awesome. So I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to reading. Um, and I, it seems like it was a really wonderful process to be able to work with your sister as well.
1: It was great. Because again, I could, so she responds to every chapter. So I write from mm. kind of an emotional and uh, comedic point of view. And then my sister, the actual person who knows what she's talking about is like, <laughs> here's what Fat, here's what fat children go through. Here's mm. what's happening when you're a middle, you know, you're a middle schooler and you're overweight. Here's what's going on in your head. Here's why diets don't work, and here's what it actually takes to make sustainable changes. So, it's a little bit, you know what I mean? It's a uh, spoonful of like monk fruit sugar. With your uh, with your medicine, you know it was, I love so it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. I'm looking forward to it, and everyone should go ahead and order it. Uh, we'll get all of your plugs in at the end, so everybody knows exactly where to find everything perfect. that you're doing. Um, but let's let's move to comedy briefly. Um, yeah. If I have it correct, uh, your quasi comedy career started with improv classes. That's right. Yeah. But I I imagine there was a point, whether it was in childhood or later, where you realized. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of funny. When when did that click for you? And when did you then decide? Hey, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and take improv classes because I think this is something I I'd like to explore further.
1: If I I mean I did think I was funny, but I didn't think I was like remark like I didn't find that to be remarkable in any
0: kind of way. You know what I mean? Like yeah, well, growing up in a Jewish family, right? Exactly. You know, everybody's Every, I cracking do jokes all the time.
1: I'm one of the least funny members of my entire family and people who hate my stand up would probably agree with that. But like uh but I I'd like my older brother is like way funnier than me, but mm. uh putting that aside for a second. I say that I about my like, younger
0: brother by the way. Yeah, like he's he's oh my god so much funnier than me.
1: And but my like they just like happen to have regular jobs. You know what yeah, I mean? He's a Where they teacher. don't need to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so You know, I would crack jokes in class and I would get laughs on that. And that was always a thrilling feeling that would always feel good and feel validating. But the idea and I listened to stand up comedy albums and watch specials like as a kid relentlessly. But it never for a second struck me as something one could do. You know, like it was just like, well, that's George Carlin or that's Dana Carvey. And they do that. And that's those are the two people who do that. And they're good. They're full. I didn't even think about it. It didn't even seem as like an option. But I didn't even aspire to be a, a comedian. I was just in, I was going to be a, like, I was like, I'm either going to be a lawyer or my my father's a lawyer. We're Jews. It's one of the five jobs you were allowed to have in
0: that generation. <laughs> my dad's uh, a financial advisor. I get yeah, it. Yeah, right. That, that was yeah. one of the other five. Yeah, one of the other uh, five.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Could be a doctor. Doctor, academic, uh, low-level major league baseball player.
0: There you go. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say teacher. If you're a failure,
1: oh, teacher's good. Yeah, yeah and, my bro- like you, you right, and my brother, right? my brother
0: is a teacher. Yeah, so I can call him. Absolutely, he's listening. Stunning, so.
1: stunning failure.
0: Yeah, huge failure.
1: Ashonda for the for the for the family. <laughs> um, Shonda for the goyim.
0: The <laughs> That's not something I ever expected to be said on this podcast, and I'm Yeah, it yeah. well, I'm have it me on been. more often. It would yeah, have happened if hey, we were man.
1: covering uh, uh, Myers Leonard a little more closely (laughs) or if Amari Stoudemire ever does anything we'll
0: have to make a we'll have to get Amari on next time former heater (laughs) and a great one of our great Jews oh yeah man I don't know if you would say the
1: same about us but one of the one of our we we claim (laughs) the (laughs) I needed uh an arts credit in college and my Mm -hmm. uncle uh taught theater and improv and I was like it will be easier to pass this improv class than it would be to pass an art history class. And I was mostly interested in what was easy back then. Mm. And I took this improv class and five minutes into it, I swear to God, something clicked. And I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. It felt like everything that I was good at, you know what I mean? Like I felt like yeah. I was like playing piano with forks where I'm like, you, I can do this, but this is not what these are for. But like, fine, I can kind of get away with this. And then all of a sudden, like, I was in improv, and somebody dropped a plate of spaghetti in front of me, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Wow! Like it was it like was such an insane click. And not to not to like go. I did improv for a few years. I moved to L.A. and took right. the Groundlings classes. Use my bar mitzvah money. Uh,
0: As one and, is to do.
1: Yeah, to get to like fund the move, and then I got a job at PF Chang's in Torrance. Shout out to uh, the PF Chang's in Torrance. But finished the two groundlings classes. There was like a year wait, year and a half wait to get into the level three. So I moved back to Portland to finish my college career and to start another improv group. And at that point I had been around people who wanted to be funny for a living, like in the groundlings. And I was like, yo, there's a level of, and that like turned me on even more. I'm like, there's a level of seriousness and passion that you can approach this very silly thing with. And these people are all on that same page. And then I started this improv group back at Portland State University, and these people were going to be architects and dentists. You <laughs> know what I mean? And like that kind of thing. And like, they shouldn't be rehearsing four times a night. They should be going on dates. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or seeing movies. And I was like, no, I need. To, we if we're going to succeed, we need to be serious. And they were like, we're not going to succeed at this. I'm like, well, I am. And but good then for somebody, you. They, right. And then somebody asked me if I did stand up comedy, and I lied and said yes. And I got booked on a show that was like wow. a month out. And I took that month to like write stand-up. Uh, and then I did that show. And the first That's set amazing. I ever did, I went on stage for 45 minutes. I swear to God. It wasn't no like an way. open mic. Yeah. 45 minutes. And I went up and like, because I didn't know what did to page. Go? It went great. Wow. Because I was so full of adrenaline. And the crowd was full of people who like knew me. And I was... You, like, I, from doing improv, I wasn't afraid of being on stage. And, I mean, I'm sure if I went back and watched that set now, it would, it would like, embarrass me to no sure, end.
0: Sure, but on the same token, if it went great in your mind at that time, your yeah. first stand-up, that's all that matters.
1: You're full of adrenaline. You're full of, like, this, like, emergency reserves of charisma, you yeah. know? And, like, yeah. I knew how to be funny because I had, I'd, like, done a ton of improv. And I had known, like, how to be funny on stage. And the crowd enjoyed it. Now I've like the like the third time I did stand up, I bombed hard, and then like subsequently kept bombing, you know, a little bit here and there. But I never went through prolonged periods of bombing. But like, um, but the first one went really great, and that was the second time I felt that this is no no, like this is what you're supposed to be doing, Mm. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. And then all of a sudden, that like a like you know the snowball rolling down the hill. You start to pick up more and more stuff. I won like Portland's Funniest Person. Started writing like a newspaper column for them. Started working with the Blazers on their post-game show. And then, uh, and then yeah. And then like things took off from there.
0: I didn't even realize the Blazers post-game show element of that. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. What was that?
1: Talking talk ball on Comcast Sportsnet. I was uh, the com- comedy relief. So they had this show. It was like wow. a host. And then like usually a former athlete uh sometimes a sports writer and then like me we need this like in general the line you're not like the people who were on this show it was ben goliver who i think now writes for the washington post yeah uh chris haynes unbelievable all the time that's crazy newsbreaker chris haynes was on it all the time dwight james who's like a oregon legend uh, I mean, then the former athletes, you'd have, like, Jerome Kersey on there. Wow. Abby Chin, who is, like, uh, works for the Celtics now and, yeah. like, on their broadcast as, like, a yeah. Southern reporter. Like, the, the, like, all these people were on this show. So that was, like, a cra- – and I got my first reps at being on TV there, again, in a low-stakes way where you're, like, hey, we're – you know, I probably did 40 games a year. I didn't do all of them, you know, but, like, it paid, like, 200 bucks a pop, which was amazing for me. And – yeah, I got to be on TV, low stakes, in a panel
0: format. And, and talking like, about your favorite team.
1: Talking about my favorite team and being funny, and I got all my cuts in. It was great, man. And then like That's by amazing. the time I ended up on Chelsea Lately, when I moved to LA, it was like, oh, I've been on TV. This is not, I don't have the deer in the headlights thing. Like I know how to do this.
0: Right. It seems insane that I'm going to have you on here for as long as I have, and I'm not going to ask about Chelsea Lately or the Late Late Show, because we oh, only yeah. have so much time left, and I want to talk about all fantasy everything. Absolutely. So um afe uh for those of you who don't know um ian originated the concept of drafting pop culture and other potential items uh not folks anywhere else plenty of us have (laughs) have ripped him off (laughs) <laughs> um, I won't name names, but I will even include those of us on uh the Levitard show we've drafted before on uh our spin-off thing Mystery Crate, and it drives me insane because we don't follow the same structure as AFE uh, yeah, yeah. and I'm constantly yelling at everyone like, no, you need to be able you need to have an explanation of your pick. You need to and they're like, Oh, come on, move it along. I'm like, ever talk about the this- picks? You guys don't even understand how this I works. Mean, we it's go ridiculous. two and a half
1: we go two and a half hours. So Which maybe is why they- this
0: has gone an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> how it should work. That's how it should work. It's what You're the people want. The fat. Yeah, yeah, but the,
1: um, I I have to say we were the first like podcast doing it. I'm right. sure like that like people did it on radio random shows. dudes I in mean, their
0: backyards.
1: <laughs> random dudes in their backyard. I'm sure like radio shows of did course. like a hey it's July twenty third. We've already talked right. about baseball. Let's fantasy draft Aerosmith albums or sure. whatever. Like, um, but yeah, we were we were the first podcast to do it, but we didn't. I didn't invent it and we didn't we don't own it.
0: But nonetheless, I, obviously slightly facetious on the concept of, of owning fantasy drafts, but yeah. uh fantasy drafts every single week. Um I am one of the weirdos who has listened to every episode that includes you Sean and David. Um, went all the way back after a friend recommended uh, initially the Disney songs draft oh, and yeah, then and li- listen to that and then was hooked and went back and listened to all of them that have done it before um, but I'd lo- I you know I know the, the sort of origin story of you David and Sean coming together and, and it becoming the three of you and forming into that but yeah. I'm not really sure I've ever heard the origin story of when the idea clicked for you hey this is the podcast that I wanna do, and it's something worth exploring professionally as I have all of these other things going on. So how did AFE really come to be? Well, it was pre-pod, I mean, saying pre-podcast boom
1: is a little bit of a misnomer. Like 2016 is when we started. Yeah. Which was kind of, you know, like there were podcasts. There were a few big ones.
0: There was a podcast boom in that it was podcasts were starting and people were hearing about them. But it wasn't really until 2020 when podcasts took off in such a crazy way because everybody was on Zoom and doing nothing in the pandemic.
1: Right. Where people started making like, you know, $50,000 a month on Patreon or whatever, (laughs) you know, like crazy crazy. stuff like that. Um, But so I was in the Late Late Show writers room and I'm a stand up comedian, but I couldn't really go on the road. Like I was used to, um, and I was all of my content. I generate content. All of the like my funny ideas went into the show. Yeah, and I would have to watch. Have to watch. James Corden is like a dear friend of mine, but I would <laughs> still have to watch him score off all my punchlines. You know, you yeah. something funny, and someone else goes and gets those laughs. So that was like driving me crazy. Mm. And then the fact that I couldn't go on the road was driving me crazy. And I had cultivated to some extent, a group of people who liked me, but I couldn't go do stand-up in front of them. And I was like, I want to have a podcast. And I thought about, and also it just seemed fun to have a podcast. Right. And I was thinking about like, what are, you know, what are some things I enjoy? I enjoyed, and I think around the time I was like in, every year I would be invited to do like fantasy basketball and I would draft. And then three weeks later, I would never look at it again. <laughs> right. Ever, right. I loved drafting. I loved playing Madden with my friends and And doing fantasy drafts. drafts. Oh, Oh, it was like it's the the best! best.
0: Yeah, it's the best. I love. I'll still to this day. That's what my brother and I will do if we ever hang out and play NBA, like NBA 2K. We'll still just. Just to play one game, we'll go through yeah. entire fantasy drafts just to create a roster and a team and build a rotation and then go from there. It's
1: so much fun. We would get like me and my friends would get into like physical altercations yep. over like an like some offensive guard, yeah, like one a left guard, like free agents. Uh
0: huh. Yeah. Uh huh. You'd like get mad because it, I remember it was always it was always 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 Josh Sitton, the left guard for the <laughs> yeah. for the Green Bay Packers, was rated really high, but in fantasy drafts because he was older. And it, and it was always factoring in for the fact that he'd probably retire soon. He'd yeah. stick around forever, and so a lot of the times we had sort of like a truce of hey, don't draft that guy because it's really unfair. You wait until the end, and then of course every single time someone go ah, oh, but I'm pretty desperate. I'm just gonna take him anyway. And then we need get a guard. Furious at each other. Oh my god! So <laughs> exactly. I can entirely relate. It's so much fun,
1: and then uh, and then also like I'd been on message boards, like where you would fan it. We did like these all time baseball and all time basketball oh. fantasy drafts where like you would take their historical stats and put them into like, where you'd add like Swen Nader on a team, you know, oh. and like you would feed his stats into this thing and you'd have like, your team would be, you know, like, God, who would it be at the time? Like, it'd be like Monte Ellis, Swen Nader, Amazing. you know, Mitch Richmond, uh, yep. like Oscar Robertson. And like, they would <laughs> figure out some way. And it was just super fun to do that drafting. And I was like, well, I don't want to do an interview podcast cuz I felt like at the time Pete Holmes and especially Mark Marin were like comedians who had that and I was like a good way to passively learn about people would to be like, "Hey, you like uh, 90s rap? Come on the podcast, we're going to draft 90s rap." Amazing. And every pick, you learn like someone's story, you know? Yeah, and you do. The original idea was like, you know, we would dra- we drafted like a fictional presidential cabinet was one of our early drafts. And we had my friend Jared Logan, who's a stand-up comedian, who's like very smart and worldly. And then we had John Lovett, yep, the uh, from Love It or Leave It and uh, Pod Save America, uh, and he came on. And the idea was you would have experts and comedians drafting these things. And then I had Sean and David on an episode. Both of like Sean especially had been like one of my best friends already. And then David was like a good friend and somebody who I just thought was so funny. And then they were on, and I was like, oh well, this this is
0: what <laughs> I want to do. Yeah. Well, how, how has that worked in terms of then, you know, those friendships blossoming in different ways. And it's really cool. I mean, for those of you who don't listen to the podcast, like for me, as someone who's now, I went back and listened to all the original ones. And it's very cool because it's like, kind of get to watch you guys grow, not only as friends, but as human beings over the span of years. Like I, I think about listening to like, you guys were on tour and listening to those as compared to the conversations that happen now. And yeah. it's just a very funny <laughs> difference between what the the tone of the podcast was versus now, but getting to work with your friends, you know, I think sometimes that can be a complicated thing, but it seems as though for you guys it's it's not and it's allowed for friendships to blossom in a very cool way. So how much does friendship sort of I mean it's kind of at the core. It's 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 like you one of the great things about podcasts in my view and, and, and yeah. one of the experiences that I have with Dan Lebitard show is like a lot of the fans of it really view us as like their friends, right? Because right. you're, in, you're in their heads for a few hours, whether it's every day or every week, and it's almost like you're participating in the conversation with your buddies sitting around. So how much do you think friendship has really contributed to the blossoming of AFE?
1: I think it is the paramount thing about it. I think it's we're all funny and I think the drafts are a fun structure for it. But like I think the friendship is the is the main thing. Which sometimes when you think about it in the abstract, it does feel weird where you're like selling people friendship, but that's just not like that's not really what it is
0: in it's a world like, right now. Where, But also in a world right now where so many people are so isolated and lonely and that's forget yeah. the pandemic like yeah. people need friendship in a technological world. And so to be able to get a dose of that dopamine through listening to something on your and way to just, work or wherever it's
1: fun to listen to it's like a pleasant it's a pleasant experience it's nice you know to hear people like cracking on each other and joking around with each other and like building these relationships i've been on the road finally now doing stand-up and people have been like boy it's weird to hear your voice coming out of your body
0: yeah because <laughs> yeah yeah certainly it's weird for me to be on the zoom with you yeah like actually talking to you and not just listening
1: right because we've never been like a video podcast so it is purely just like our voices like going into people's ears and it's like wow that's weird like people meet you and they're like I, it's strange that you have a body <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> i totally i totally get it, it is it is yeah. different and um all right so here's where here's where we'll wrap because i've kept you okay. for far too long to begin with i wanted oh, please, to I put AFE guests into a starting five wow so i had my idea as to who yeah. i would take and what what theoretical position they would play Okay um, But I, if you want I can give you mine first And yeah, then you can yours. rebound off of that Alright so My AFE starting five was I had I had Katie Nolan at the point guard Have to Um, I feel natural. like she an, an, A natural pick And also she Plays so well off of each of you guys So I feel like yeah. that's like setting up with assists Um, I've got Blair Saki the shooting guard Wow! Yeah, um, just in she's terms she's kind of like
1: the, just coming on, like not a, not quite a rookie, second year player. Yep. amazing. Yeah.
0: Yep, absolutely. Uh, Josh Gondelman is my small forward. Um, I mean, the man can score. Yeah, he can score. He can score. Can That's what score. he can do. There's and it's it's constantly catching you off guard because he's so seemingly so sweet and yet. And he's, he is
1: indeed so sweet. And but he's then like, his
0: punchlines will just catch you off guard from how sweet he is to then getting you with like the right joke there.
1: I, In my opinion, he's the greatest. He is the best podcast guest someone can have on any show. Drop him into any format. He's amazing. He's LeBron. Oh, so you mean he's a compiler on a bad team? He's a good stats, bad team. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, power Forward, I had Zach Disconi in terms of uh, Power right. Forwards are normally the uh, strangest characters on a team, and he has had some of the strangest and most wonderful drafts uh, in show history. Uh, He's I, perfect. One, one of my particular favorites is, um, I think it was, What Would You Do If You Were a Billionaire? And he yeah. tortured people in a Chick Fil A <laughs> on a private island.
1: He made his enemies work at a food court.
0: Yeah, at a food court his but, <laughs> that was on the other side of the island or something like yeah. that. It was truly wonderful. Um, and then center, the man in the middle, Shane Torres, um, It just has a to be big von beef oven. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I was very fortunate to uh, I went and saw. Now I can't even remember who I went to go see. Oh, I saw I saw Mulaney do stand up um, recently yeah, at opened. Hard Rock, and Shane opened, and I was like. Absolutely mind blown, excited because I had no idea he was opening, and was so like so excited to hear the bagel joke. It was yeah. great. Did he uh, do the bagel joke? He did. He closed that's with son it. Of a yeah, he did. He closed <laughs> with the everything bagel joke. My brother, my brother was late, and he came in right as it was happening, and he also listens to AFE, and yeah. we just like could not believe that we were getting to witness it in person. It was a great. Oh, moment. great! Yeah,
1: oh, so funny. He is such a funny stand-up comedian. He's such a funny dude in general, but he's just amazing at stand-up.
0: Yeah, he's he's jam. terrific. Um but yeah, I think that's that's kind of my general starting five there. That's but I know great, you guys have had some really wonderful guests over the span of time.
1: I think you gotta have like Amy Miller at least coming oh, off the bench in that so situation. Good. Maybe Amy's picking so up some good. minutes of power forward uh-huh.
0: as well. Uh
1: and then, like, there's people who we've had on, not like not enough times, but who are so good at, it, like, a Daniel well, Van Kirk.
0: Oh, you know, his, the live draft with him recently oh, was tremendous.
1: mean, Caleb Heron is like so funny. Like Chris Sharpentier. Like there, I mean, we we are very blessed that we have like an extended community of wonderful people who come do the pod.
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah. it's it's a wonderful podcast. Um, and this was. A really wonderful conversation, Ian. uh, Thank you for taking so much time out of your day um, to chat with me. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, before I let you go, um, where can everybody find all of your work? And be sure to subscribe to the right channels, listen to you, maybe see you perform live.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm at Joe Cronin on X. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, they can find me at Ian Carmel on uh, Twitter or X or whatever. Instagram, uh, please follow me on Instagram and TikTok because comedy clubs look at that. Do it. And There's funny stuff there. Yeah, I've, I post funny clips all the time, reactions to sports stuff, all of that, st- all of those things. Pre-order T-shirt Swim Club. Uh, if that book sounds interesting to you, uh, I think I think people are gonna really like it. Listen to All Fantasy Everything. Uh, my link trees to my stand updates are on my uh, are on my. Twitter and on my Instagram bios, but I'm coming to like New Orleans soon, Seattle, uh, where else? Phoenix this weekend. All, I'm all over the place: Portland, San Francisco, all those wonderful places. And uh, I, I just also just want to point out that Port, like I am rooting for the Heat. <laughs> I really, I truly, I truly am because I really like that
0: that was necessary here at the end. Miami
1: is also not a big city. And like they also bit like Jimmy, like they got Jimmy Butler through, you know, fortune, but also it's not like people were clamoring for Jimmy Butler at that point. Bam is homegrown. Heroes, homegrown. Hawke's is certainly homegrown. Like all these, you know, like, and all the undrafted uh, players. Yeah. And your coach is a Portland, Oregon legend,
0: bro. Yep. Yeah, he Portland, is Portland,
1: Oregon legend Spolstra, Spo dude is a is a jewel of the Pacific Northwest himself, uh, much like much like me and uh, you know, so I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for the Heat, especially like uh, to compared to these other teams that where people like a lot of the players were like brought in, you know, so let's put all this ugly. Joe I think Cronin, this is the moment. I think this is Lillard the moment behind yeah. us. I think this I is was, it. Yeah. I was rooting for you. Uh, everything, every year up until that free year, I even rooted for the Heatles. The first year, wow! The first year, I wanted the Heatles. Thank to win. you for that. Yeah, because the Spurs go go to hell. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted, like, we can put this ugliness behind us. It was a blow up. It was a fight. But this we is the podcast
0: to end all Blazers Heat rivalry. Let these two teams with the same color pattern on exactly opposite right unite. Let exactly us unite right. in this moment. Put the past behind us. Damian Lillard is no longer the focus of either franchise. No, he's out of both. It's all going to be okay. I hope Scoot is great. I yes. hope you guys recoup whatever first round picks you're looking for. Thank I hope you. The heat make it back to the finals, and Amen. we can all live in, in kumbaya.
1: Send those overstuffed Celtics back to Cancun, so yeah. they can watch the finals
0: on TV. I love it. I love it. Even
1: though Peyton Pritchard, and another jewel of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs>
0: And <laughs> All right. Thank thank you so much, Ian. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Shaklackity. Sh-cl-
0: <laughs>